Hi all, Jacob Austin here, owner of QS.Zone. Welcome to episode 3 of the Subcontractors Blueprint, the show where subcontractors will learn about how to ensure profitability, improve cash flow and grow their business. Today is episode 3 and we're going to be looking at changes in the construction industry. So what are changes? What are they all about? Why do they always present as such a problem in administration, in getting things instructed, agreed? There really can be a source of frustration to everybody on site. So let's start right at the top and look at some of the principles. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at this through the lens of the JCT contract because it is just the most common, the one you're likely to see the most of. And hopefully this will therefore be the most help to you. So changes can be changes in scope, changes in quantity, or the way that work is carried out on site. So that might be the client has decided all of the doors now need to be black instead of brown. That instruction has been passed down from the client to the contractor. The contractor now passes that on to you to supply the different color door. That's a change, a clear change in scope. What you also may see is an instruction or a change to add similar kinds of work to your package or omit work from your package. In this example, varying the number of doors. And because I've picked a stupid example, I can't really think of something sensible about alteration of the conditions in which the work is carried out. So if the client were to instruct you to carry out installation of doors standing on your head only with left-handed joiners, that might be a change of conditions without really changing the spec or the quantum of the work. So these are things that have arisen out of an instruction. There are situations where you also get deemed variations and that might be where compliance with a new law requires a change. And those kind of changes are a change that are necessary regardless of whether instruction is received or not. So if the law suddenly stipulated in this example that all doors had to open inwards and they previously on the job opened outwards, that would be a change and no instruction would be necessary to require that change. So all of the main forms of construction contract have provisions in their clauses to enable the instruction or the addition, omission of a variation, a change. Actually, if we didn't have those kind of clauses in a contract, it would be incredibly time consuming. Technically then to implement a change, you'd have to change the entire construction contract to start with and possibly enter into a separate contract just for that change. So the clauses that are there now are there really to try and make it easier for us. So looking at that in the context of the most common contract out there at the moment, the JCT design and build contract. So clause 5.1, the term change means 
a change in the employer's requirements which makes necessary the alteration or modification of the design or quality of the works otherwise than such as may be reasonably necessary for the purposes of rectification pursuant to clause 3.13. It then goes on to list three points. The addition, omission or substitution of any work, the alteration of the kind or standard of any of the materials or goods to be used in the works, the removal from site of any work executed or site materials other than work materials or goods which are not in accordance with this contract. So that part one of this clause is relating to changes in the physical finished work. We'll look at the second part next. One of the things I hate about the JCT is the continual cross-reference between clauses. So clause 3.13, as was referred to then, is for work not carried out in accordance with the contract. So if there's a defect, the client may instruct the correction of that defect with an instruction. And what this clause is effectively saying is that doesn't give you entitlement to charge for a change. So the addition, omission, substitution of any work, we've covered that with our door example previously. The alteration of the kind or standard of any of the materials. This is the changing of the color of the door that we spoke about. Changing the spec, changing it for something cheaper, any of that kind of nature. The bit of a weird one there is the removal from site of any work executed or site materials other than work materials or goods which are not in accordance with the contract. So this kind of thing doesn't happen very often. So the point about it not being in accordance with the contract is quite rightly if there's a built-in a, a built defect that needs to be removed. The removal of completed work from site is basically asking you to reverse something that you've already done and that has really limited applications. But in our door example say if the door by being installed stops a large piece of equipment going through the opening and you need to remove the door to get it in and reinstall the door again after that has happened that might be an example of removal of yeah that might be an example of removal of that kind of work one thing to remember in changes is that timing is really everything. There are times when things are quite cheap to omit or add or change and there are times when doing that causes us to unpick work that's already been completed and it causes a load of additional cost, aggravation, hassle to get it done. So continuing with the door analogy, the client has now decided that they want the doors to be in a different location. If this is instructed prior to you commencing anything, they are causing themselves the cost of a line being moved on a drawing. This is the cheapest and simplest time for a client to make a change. And when the contractor gets to that being executed on site, they might even not instruct a change to you. I mean, essentially, you're installing a door. If it's a 100 mil different place, does it really matter? Probably not. But as soon as that door is in position, or as soon as the opening is in position, now everything is at a cost. So you've got the cost of breaking out the lintel, propping to support the masonry above it, 
bricking up the opening and all of this in reverse in the new position of the new opening. If the door is also installed you've got to take that out and store it somewhere reinstall it hopefully it can be reinstalled fairly simply. If everything else is, is complete as well you might have plaster work you might have decoration all of your internal finishes to make good on top of all of that and that in a nutshell is why timing is everything when it comes to changes and it makes it really important for you to take records when you get an instruction you need to take a record of what the state of each of your bits of work is at say you're part way through the site you've got 60 doors installed you've got 40 left to run the moving of the 40 doors what what real impact does that have to you probably none the moving of the 60 doors is at a cost though so when you get an instruction you have to take that as a bit of a prompt to ascertain where you are to stop and think about what's going to be impacted by the change that's just been instructed right so the second section of the change clause reads the imposition by the employer of any obligations or restrictions in regard to the following matters or any addition or alteration or omission of any such obligations or restrictions that are so imposed or imposed in the employer's requirements in regard to and it gives a list of four items access to the site or use of any specific parts of the site limitations of working space limitations of working hours or the execution or completion of the work in any specific order so this is the section that really concerns itself with the conditions the actual clause itself is a bit of a mouthful as everything seems to be in jct land whereas the four points that follow are pretty clear as to what they are but in straightforward terms what this is saying is if the employer or if the contractor adds or removes or changes the way that we can access the site how much of it we can access or the length of time that we can work there we're entitled to a change so let's just have a look at each of these four points and why they might be important to us so access to the site or any specific parts of the site going back to our door analogy so you've got a hundred doors that you're installing across the site and what you've agreed with the contractor is you're going to install 10 doors a day for 10 days and you've got enough resource to do that and now the change is the contractor has told you you can't access 10 doors a day you can have five just for the sake of having a simple example so again timing is everything if you get to site you're anticipating installing 10 doors on the first day you've now got half your resource there doing nothing or all of your resource only productive for half of the time so you've got loss of productivity you've got costs that you need to pass on you've also now got your supervisor who will be on site for twice as long as you thought it would be but say the contractor tells you two weeks in advance and you're able to down the amount of resource that you're going to bring to site you've still got a problem because that supervision cost isn't going away limitations of working space and limitations of working hours will cause a similar problem for you of that same loss of productivity the same inability to install what you thought you could in the time that you thought you could 
Limitations of working space is a bit of a difficult one to explain in the context of the analogy we've been using. But let's say that to install your door you're going to use a large piece of lifting plant to lift the door into position and you now can't do that. You've now got to use a man to do the same thing and it's going to take twice the time. It's that kind of change of situation and thinking of what the implication is, what the cost is going to be as a result. So a slightly better example, if you were going to have your 100 doors delivered to site in one hit and now you've got a limitation of you've only got space to bring in five at a time. You might have an issue of multiple deliveries a day being needed. You've certainly got an increased cost. One delivery versus 20 small deliveries of five at a time. Right. Lastly, the fourth point, the execution or completion of work in any specific order. So what we're saying with this one is... This could be an introduction of a prescriptive order that you've got to complete the work in, or it could be a change of the order that you've already agreed and the order that is in your subcontract program. So this one's got several possible implications. So it might be as simple as you're installing your 100 doors in all of the even plots first instead of the odd plots first. Some of these things might not really cause you any cost, but if it introduces a requirement to continually move between faces of work that are far away, for example, you're losing productivity. Now, if you've got really bespoke doors and each one is unique to the location it's installed in and you're bringing them in in a just-in-time basis, you might be also having them manufactured in a just-in-time basis. And that instruction might completely ruin the flow require you to have to store everything and then send it out in a piecemeal fashion in a different way. This particular item is a little easier to explain in the context of, say, some groundworks activities. So say the contractor decides that he wants a strip of 200 metres of road to be installed first to provide access to his compound. But this wasn't expressed at the start, it's a change, and what you've now got to do Instead of putting your below ground drainage in first, you're putting in your stone sub-base, your base course of tarmac, and then going back and digging through that to put the drainage in at a later time. It's quite clear and easy to see how the cost will build up on a change like that. So that's a sort of a brief explanation of changes in condition. And the challenge that you find in this is working out what has actually changed as a result of an instruction like that because it isn't always abundantly clear. And the other thing to say on this front is that if you turn up on a site and you've priced and agreed to carry out the works in a certain fashion and you're finding in the first two weeks or the first period of time that you're not getting the access and you're not getting the working space or the site manager's closing the site earlier, then you're really entitled to go and ask for an instruction for this and treat it as a change, because all of these things will lose you productivity, will cost you more money. And it's quite clear, it's there in the black and white, that these things are actually a reason for an instruction to be issued. So if you find those conditions have changed, get your hand out for it. Talk to your site manager about it explain the issue and then confirm it back to them. And what you can effectively do by doing this is 
what we call a confirmation of verbal instruction. So this clause is there for instructions which aren't provided in writing. And these are quite common. You get a verbal instruction to do X or do Y. And what we need to do to box off and solidify our entitlement in that instance is to write a quick confirmation. So some people do this in the form of a notepad. It can be done in the form of a letter. It can be done in the form of a quick email. If you're going with the email option, make it quite clear that that's what it is. Put in the title, confirmation of verbal instruction, and then a, a one sentence summary of what the instruction is. And the contract says, if you make that confirmation back to the contractor, they've got seven days to effectively write back to you and say, no, that's not what I meant, to correct the issue or reject it. There might be a little bit of back and forth on these kind of things, but essentially if the, the conditions have got to change or the work has got to change, you'll either find it doesn't get rejected or challenged. And what you've effectively done is confirm something that you've been told about verbally in writing and solidified your entitlement to charge extra money for it. Okay, then before we start talking about the valuation of changes, there's a couple of other things to note about instructions. So you are expected to comply with an instruction that's issued by the contractor. As long as that instruction is reasonable. And in this context, what that means is the contractor can't just instruct you as the door installer to suddenly be completing all of the electrical install or carrying out the piling. It's got to be something that is sort of within your capabilities which you can presume it will be most contractors aren't going to start introducing requirements for work that you just can't do so you've got seven days from the issue of that instruction to start complying with it now this is really important because the contractor has a remedy here that if you don't comply with the instruction within seven days the contractor is able to employ and pay somebody else to do that bit of work and they then get the entitlement to take whatever costs off of you for the extra cost of completing that work by others. So briefly say, you've got a bill rate to supply and install your door of 500 pounds. The contractor has instructed you to install the door to plot 60. Seven days later, you haven't done it. It now costs 700 pounds. The contractor is able to take that extra 200 quid off of your contract sum. And of course, they're not going to pay you for the completion of that work to start with. There may also be other issues. So if the contractor loses any time, they spend any extra resource on appointing somebody else. There's also that cost to consider as well. So it can be a really, really costly issue if you decide not to carry out some instructed work. And there's a further piece to add to this because the contractor is able to instruct you to carry out work which is already part of your contract. And these sort of things happen fairly frequently. And it might be the case, let's give an example scenario. They've noticed on a walk around site that you've installed the doors to plots 1 to 8, not number 9, but then you've carried on with 11 to 15. You might have done that for good reason, I don't know, 
but they're concerned that plot 9 isn't progressing so they send you an instruction to get it underway. Seven days later if you haven't complied with that instruction they can omit that from you and bring somebody else in to do it and then they have every entitlement to recover costs from you for that. So it's important to consider that and if there are any issues when an instruction is raised say you can't get access to the area make sure you flag that up as an issue so that there's a clear record that after seven days the instruction wasn't complied with but you're effectively prevented from complying with it. Okay so let's move on from there and have a brief chat about valuing the change. Valuing the change really could be its whole own episode and we will do that at a later time. We could probably spend an hour or two just talking about proratering different contract rates to come up with a fair price. So we'll cover a quick summary about valuing the change. So typically once the entitlement has been decided and established, there's a few things to think about in terms of how to go about valuing the work. So the character of it is the change, similar character of work to what you're doing elsewhere. If so, that makes it really simple. So add a hundred and first door to your contract of a hundred doors. You can just multiply out the cost of that one door. Have the conditions changed? Again, this is what we were talking about in terms of timing being everything. If the conditions are different, there may well be extra costs associated with adding that extra door. Is the quantity similar? So this doesn't really work with our door analogy because one door is a door. But when we're talking about, say, plastering, plastering 100 square metres in a large room versus an isolated one square metre in a tiny room, there's a difference in price particularly if it means coming back to an area that you've already completed, you're remobilizing, you're carrying out a tiny bit of work, it's disproportionately costly to do that one square meter than it would be the original 100 square meters. The other thing that would be sensible to think about is if that change is going to impact your period on site and therefore how much management time and so on, other prelims costs you might be incurring. That doesn't necessarily need to be calculated and presented as part of the change at this point under JCT conditions, as there's other means to recovering prelims, which we'll talk about at another time. But my thoughts on this, if it's quite clear whilst you're quoting for a change, why not do it now? Why not include the cost of the extra time? have your entitlement established and have the money coming to you. So these are considerations. The next thing to look at is how is best to value the work. So there are a couple of nuances, but the general principles are the same. So the first rule is that if you're carrying out work that is the same as other work that you're doing on site, the same prices should apply. That means if there's a bill of quantities and it counts the number of doors in there, we're adding an extra door, so we add it at the same price. And the same thing basically applies if there's a schedule of rates or a contract sum analysis of some sort which measures out the rates. 
If the price was on the basis of a lump sum, it's slightly different, but the same principle. So you've got 100 doors, you're adding another one, so you're adjusting the percentage to reflect 101% to allow for the extra door. Where the work is similar but different, what we call a pro rata is applied. So taking our door example, if we've got a door that's added to the contract, but this particular door has got a deep lining on it, we'll take the original price, we'll break it down, we isolate the bit that has changed, and increase that part so that it's reflective of the cost of installing the bigger lining. A slightly better example of that might be a drainage trench. So there's a change, there's a drawing change, and now some of the drainage is at a deeper depth than what you originally priced for. So some of the portions of the rates are the same. You think about the pipe in the trench, that isn't changed. The bed and surround to the pipe, so the gravel or the concrete, that hasn't changed. But what has changed is the depth of the excavation, the depth of the backfill, and the amount of disposal required. So we can't just take the original rate and multiply it out by the change. So if the depth is an additional 50%, say we've gone from 1 meter deep to 1.5 meters, and for the sake of simplicity, we're going to ignore the likes of the working space and just think about the impact of the depth. If I just increase the price by 50%, so make it 150%, I'm now presenting a price with 150% of a pipe and 150% of the bed and surround, which haven't changed. So what I then need to do is isolate the bits that have changed from the bits that haven't. So let's say simply there's a 60-40 split the pipe and the bed and surround are worth 40% of the overall cost. The excavation and the backfill is worth 60%. We're going to increase that 60% by half and then add back the original 40% for the bed and surround and the pipe. So just put that into numbers. Let's say it was £100 a linear metre. 40% of that was the pipe and the bed and surround. So 40 quid, 60% of that was the excavation and the backfill, 60 quid. The 60 is increased by 50%, so that becomes 90. We're then going to add the original 40 quid back, so now we've got a rate of 130 pounds. That now reflects the additional depth, but it doesn't overcharge for the bits that haven't changed. And you see, comparing that to the 150%, it's actually... £20 cheaper. We'll talk about this in detail in another episode. If there's no similar bits of work, the change has to be valued at fair rates and prices. So going back to the door analogy, all of our doors have been front doors made out of timber with a letterbox, a handle and all the usual bits and pieces. We've now been instructed to provide a double patio door made out of timber but it's twice as wide and it's fully glazed. That price isn't going to reflect anything like what we've got in the contract. So what we need to do with that is go out and get prices in from our supply chain for the new style of door and put our fair price for fitting alongside it. And we're going to have to be prepared to demonstrate what the fair price for that 
door should be. Finally, we've got a time and cost basis or alternatively day work basis. And that sort of pricing suits things that aren't very easy to quantify or things that aren't very substantive. There's not a lot to them. What I mean by that is if we're not adding a door, we're say taking a door out of its opening, setting it aside, putting a bit of plywood in there as a temporary measure and then refitting the door later. We're not actually supplying a lot. There's a bit of plywood, a few screws and whatever. But most of that cost is going to be labour. It's difficult to really put a price to it in advance. So what the fairest thing for both you and the contractor to do is to say, let's just have a look at how long it takes and we'll pay you for your time and the cost of any materials. So you can see there that changes tend to be pretty unique and there isn't really a one size fits all approach. You need to have an appreciation of all of these different ways of valuing works and also the different entitlements to instructions to really make sure you're maximizing your opportunities. There's quite a lot that can go wrong here. Not appreciating that things are different, missing out changes in conditions. Some final practical tips for managing changes. So you want to link your change to an instruction or a change in the law, be that a contractor's instruction, a CVI, or a clear change in the law. You want to flag up your change as soon as you become aware of it. If necessary, discuss it and confirm it back in writing, as we've said, using the CVI process. Have a look at and follow your valuation mechanism correctly. The principles that we've discussed here are fairly consistent throughout the JCT contracts. Make sure you provide enough information. Preferably you might want to look at marking up some drawings, providing copies of emails and instructions, any photos that you can take, any records that you've got of progress so that you can clearly demonstrate how much of your work has been affected by an instruction or a change. Provide a clear calculation. Show how your price relates back to your original price. And if it doesn't, be prepared to provide evidence of the actual cost. And then finally, if you're using a day work basis, make sure that you've got signed sheets by your site foreman, site manager, whoever's authorized to sign, and that your correct percentage rates for overhead and profit and other add-ons are used. Right, so I think you've heard me talk about doors enough times today. So we're gonna wrap up this episode Thanks for tuning in to today's show. If you like what you've heard and you want to learn more, please find us at www.qs.zone where you can subscribe to our training and support system for like-minded subcontractors for less than the price of a cup of coffee per day. And you can cancel any time. We're also on all of your favorite socials at qs.zone. And thanks again for listening. I've been Jacob Austin and you've been awesome.